Amen. If you have your Bibles this morning, and you would, find with me 1 Samuel chapter 31. And uh, as you're finding 1 Samuel chapter 31, I have a couple cards that I would like to read for you this morning. <clears throat> First one, thank you so much for the specs and checking on us during our COVID week. We appreciate it so very much. That is from the Dan and Letitia Wiggins family. That is me, isn't it? Man, that's twice today that's happened. Uh, so we're glad they're well back. Second card this morning I have. Dear Ten Mile family, words can never express how much we are thankful for our church family. For the past couple of months, you have showered not only me, but my parents with your love during our battle with COVID. We want you to know how grateful we are to those who are filling in for me, for the online services, and for all the calls, texts, and snack box, but most of all, the prayers. To know others were praying for us, helped us stay connected, and was the best medicine of all. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 11 says, Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, just as you are doing. And guess what? You all did that. And that is from the David and Karen Dykstra family. And so, as always, we're thankful that God hears our prayers and heals and works. And we're just thankful for how good God is to us. Uh, today I want to talk to you about the results of fear. And uh, if we begin chapter 31 of 1 Samuel, uh, I know this might sound hard to you, but if you were to guess where we're going next, we are going to be in... 2 Samuel chapter 1, yes, and so we're going to continue on. Uh, this would have been, uh, at its writing, would have been one book, and, uh, and so we are going to treat it as such. But we have been looking over the last months about fear, and what fear does to us. And we've been looking at how fear is sin, and that fear that is not dealt with will corrupt everything that we're trying to do. We looked at how fear in the unknown caused the children of Israel to want a king. We looked about how Saul was fearful that Samuel didn't show up, and so he offered a sacrifice. We saw how Saul was afraid how his men would respond if he killed all of the livestock and all of the spoils of war, and yet he lost the kingdom because of it. We looked at how David was afraid and ran and put himself in a position where his family was kidnapped. We looked at Saul, how he was afraid and went to the witch and tried to talk to the dead. And everything that we've been looking at has been the slippery slope about how fear will take you to places that you shouldn't be. How fear will cost you things that you don't want to pay. And as we come to chapter 31 today, we finally see the result of what fear will do. And this morning it is so easy for all of us please don't miss this. To say, Jake, I don't have any fears. Jake, I don't have any sin. You know, I, I don't sin as much as the person next to me. Jake, I don't sin near as much as you do. I've listened to the sermons. But this morning, I want you to know something. That this morning, if you and I do not allow the Spirit of God to convict us and to show us and to draw us to, our, to Himself and to show us of our need to repent, Friends, sin will result in destruction for you and for me. 
And so this morning I am going to preach and it's going to seem very, very discouraging at first. And that's not my intent. But friends, if you don't understand what you have been saved from, you cannot appreciate the saving. And so if you were to be saved uh, by a doctor because you had a common cold, you would think, well, that's just a great job. That's what I pay you for. If a doctor found out that you had stage 4 cancer and if they did not find it, it would have killed you, you would be much more thankful. And I believe the number one problem in our church and in churches in general is this. We have stopped talking about the seriousness and the destructive nature of sin. And so when we talk about salvation, we think that Jesus just helped us. That Jesus just added to our life. That Jesus just helped my mistakes. And friends, that's not the case. Your sin and my sin separated us from God. It put us on a path to an eternal hell. But yet God loved us so much that He made a way for us to be saved. And so this morning, if you would stand with me out of a reverence to the reading of God's Word, we're going to read chapter 31 because I want you to hear the whole context of this for this morning. Starting in verse 1, Now the Philistines fought against Israel. And the men of Israel fled from the Philistines and fell slain on Mount Gilboa. Then the Philistines followed hard after Saul and his sons. And the Philistines killed Jonathan, Abinadab, and Malchisha, Saul's sons. The battle became fierce against Saul. The archers hit him and he was severely wounded by the archers. Then Saul said to his armor bearer, Draw your sword and thrust me through with it, lest these uncircumcised men come and thrust me through and abuse me. That word means torture. But his armor bearer would not, for he was greatly afraid. Therefore Saul took a sword and fell on it. And when his armor bearer saw that Saul was dead, he also fell on his sword and died with him. So Saul, his three sons, his armor bearer, and all of his men died together in that day. And when the men of Israel who were on the other side of the valley and those who were on the other side of the Jordan saw that the men of Israel had fled and that Saul and his sons were dead, they forsook the cities and fled. And the Philistines came and dwelt in them. So it happened the next day when the Philistines came to strip the slain that they found Saul and his three sons fallen on Mount Gilboa. And they cut off his head and stripped off his armor and sent word throughout the land of the Philistines to proclaim it in the temples of their idols and among the people. Then they put his armor in the temple of the Ashtaroth, and they fastened his body to the wall of Bashan. And when the inhabitants of Jabesh-Gilead heard about the Philistines had done to Saul, all the valiant men arose and traveled all night and took the body of Saul and the bodies of his son from the wall of Bashan. And they came to Jabesh and burned them there. Then they took their bones and buried them under the tamarisk tree at Jabesh and fasted seven days. You say, whoa, you're right, whoa. This morning I want to warn you today that whether you are just now starting to give in to sin or whether you are in a mess that you don't think you can get out, there is hope. And So pray with me this morning. Father, today I come, Lord, asking for forgiveness. Lord, you know me in my heart. You know the sins that I struggle with, the failures that I have. Father, today I pray that you would do what only you could do. Or that your Holy Spirit would convict in this place today. 
Lord, that your word would cut and work and move and heal. God, today that you would do amazing things. Father, I pray that you would convict that Christian who is living in sin privately or publicly. Today, Lord, I pray that you would convict the lost man, woman, boy or girl of their need to be saved. Lord, I pray that you would help those who have been set free to be thankful. Or God, whatever other struggle they have today, that you would work in a mighty way. Because God, you alone can do anything for them, not I. And so Father, I pray that you would bless our time together and that you would work in a mighty way for Jesus' sake and in His name. Amen. And So today I want to talk to you about sin. You say, oh Jake, no one wants to talk about sin. No one wants to talk about the consequences of sin. Well, today I want to talk about sin because I want you to show you how wonderful of a Savior that we have. But today, if you're taking notes, and I really hope you will, I know you, I say that every week, and you're thinking, I don't. If you take notes, today is the day to take notes. If you don't take notes, today is the day that you should take notes. The first thing I want to show you today from this passage of Scripture is the people that sin affects. Yes, I know it should be A, I think, but I went to McLeansboro. It's okay. So, the people that sin affects. What is going on in this story is that Israel is going to war with the Philistines. David had been living in the Philistine lands. He had just lost his family, but yet got him back in a military conquest. And so the nation of Israel is battling the Philistines. The Philistines attack and begin to win. And this is the setting that we find ourselves in. The people that sin affects. This morning I want to read this to show you that your sin will not just affect you. You might say, well, Jake, my unforgiveness in my heart, it won't affect anybody else. Or Jake, that pride that no one else knows about, it won't affect anybody else. Or Jake, how we talk or what we watch or how we live in the privacy of our home, that doesn't affect anybody else other than us. And this morning I want to show you that people are affected by our sin. Starting in verse 1, there are four groups of people I want to show you. Now the Philistines fought against Israel, and the men of Israel, there's the first group, fled from before the Philistines and fell slain on Mount Gilboa. Then the Philistines followed hard after Saul and his sons, and the Philistines killed Jonathan, Abinadab, and Malchisha, Saul's son. The men of Israel, Saul's children are dead. The battle became fierce against Saul, and the archers hit him, and he was severely wounded by the archers. Then Saul, the third person, said to his armor-bearer, Draw your sword and thrust me through with it, lest the uncircumcised men come and thrust me through and abuse me or torture. But his armor-bearer would not, for he was greatly afraid. Therefore Saul took a sword and fell on it. And when his armor-bearer, the fourth person, was saw that Saul was dead, he also fell on his sword and died with him. You say, Jake, that is one chapter full of death. But I want to show you here that the fall of Saul and all of these people started long before. If you remember back in the beginning of this book, there is a man by the name of Samuel. And he is a judge over the nation of Israel. He's a preacher and he's a, he, he helps the people with the Word of God and the things of God. And he became an old man. And the nation of Israel said, we don't want a judge anymore. We want a king like everybody else. And Saul told them that king is going to lead you to death and destruction and, and taxes and war. And, and, and you don't want that. And the people said what? 
We want a king. And so when the men are dying on this mountain, you need to know that the sin that caused their death was not on the mountain. It was years before. Friends, your sin and mine sometimes doesn't come to fruition until much later. There are four groups of people that I want you to think about. Saul dies. Saul's sin affected himself. And what was Saul's sin? He was terrified. He was selfish. He was prideful. It was all about him. And so Saul put himself on a path years before this when he rejected the things of God. And this moment, he is now suffering the consequences of his sin. You say, well, that's terrible for Saul because it was all his fault. But you notice who else suffered the consequences of Saul's sin? His children. Don't miss this. Jonathan, Abinadab, and Mishua. You say, well, Jake, I don't know those three people. Why don't you look at it like this this morning? It would be a different story if I was naming your children in that sentence. If Jacob Gray's sin destroyed Kylie, Andrea, Jayla, Tinley, Lydia, and Leslie. You say, oh, Jake, I've not done anything that bad. I, I've not been rebelling against God. All sin has consequences. All sin affects the people that we love. So we see here that Saul is affected. Saul's children are affected. And then his armor bearer. His armor bearer dies. The armor bearer didn't do anything. But he was affected by Saul's sin from years ago. You could look at the armor bearer as the closest person to Saul. He would have been a loyal friend, a loyal soldier. So Saul's sin affected Saul, his family, his friends. And then it affected who? The nation of Israel. The soldiers of Israel begin to die, not because they've done anything wrong themselves, but because Saul has rebelled against God. And so tonight, I, this morning, I want you to think about that. Will my sin affect me? Will my sin affect my marriage? Will my sin affect my children? Will my sin affect the people that I love the most? Will my sin affect the church that I'm a part of? Will my sin affect the people that I hang out with, that I work with? And the answer is yes. Saul is an example of how sin corrupts and how sin has consequences. You say, well, that's great, Jake, but it doesn't apply to me. I want you to hear this verse from Psalm 14, verse 1. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They have done abominable works. There is none who does good. There is no one in here today that says, I don't have a sin problem. I don't have a sin struggle. You might think you're too good to be a sinner, or you might think you're so bad that your sin cannot be forgiven. But the Bible teaches us that all of us sin. All of us fall short of the glory of God. And so if I have a problem, if I have a sin problem, and it is going to affect someone, what is the answer? What is the hope that I have as a father, as a husband, as a pastor, as a, a son? My sin is going to do something. What is it going to do? You say, Jake, that's really doom and gloom this morning. No, what's doom and gloom this morning is when you end up like Saul on a mountain begging for someone to take your life. When God had given you everything you needed in the past. You see, some of you today are probably there. You're probably thinking, Jake, this fear that I've struggled with, Jake, this, this sin that I've struggled with, man, it's got me in a mess. Man, I... It's cost me my job. It's cost me my marriage. It's cost me my relationship with my family, my friends. And, and you're sitting here thinking today, Jake, there's no hope. 
I mean, I am Saul on the mountain. Friends, God has not taken you yet. There's hope. Simeon's might be just starting that in that slippery slope of, you know what, I'm so I'm not mad at Levi. I'm so mad at him, but I'm, you know what, I'm not going to tell him. And I'm going to just keep it right here. And, uh, and you know, it's right here. It won't stay right here. But maybe you're there today. Growing up, Power Rangers were a staple in our home. Many of you remember the Power Rangers? No one likes the red ones because he's a show-off. But anyway, my kids were being... Uh, I told this in Sunday school, so if you're in my Sunday school class, I'm sorry. For multiple reasons, but for this story especially. But uh, so they were watching the Power Rangers, and there's a new Power Rangers that's come out. It's brand new. It's, it's as cheesy as the old ones, but it's got better graphics and cooler colors. And my kid's like, hey, uh, we want to watch this. And especially especially my, my third one is like, you know what, I'll, I'll sit down and watch with you because I'm not a very good dad and I'm never there. So I'll watch an episode with you. And so as I sit there watching that with them, uh, there was a young lady who was informing uh, someone else that she does not date boys. What she was saying to a minority, teenage, youth, children audience was that she was a lesbian. And so in that moment, I had a choice to make. Just ignore it. Let them watch it. Not a big deal. Every show has it. Every family struggles with it. Or I could tell them to turn it off and go back to watching the cheesy version that I watched as a kid, right? And you say, well, Jake, that is so that is so over the top. No, friends, it's not. It starts with a little compromise here. It starts with overlooking my sin here. I, uh, I am on day 12 of no bread and no sweets, except for coffee uh, and ice cream one time, all right? Three cups one time. Uh, <laughs> day 12. And uh, I have always told myself, Baptists are overweight. Baptists don't have any self-control. I've joked about it for years up here, made jokes about being fat. But last Sunday, I laid down during the second service. And when people lay down, usually your stomach goes down. And what I noticed is my stomach was the same mountain as it was as always. And I thought, Jake, you've got to quit sneaking the desserts. You've got to quit sneaking the breaded-covered fish. You've got to get serious about it. Why? You say, well, Jake, I can't believe you said that. What sin are you overlooking? Maybe it's a sin of gossip. Maybe it's a sin of pride. Maybe it's a sin of the things you watch when no one else is around. It's those things in your life where you're just now starting to compromise. But yet you've not seen the end result of it yet. Wherever you're at this morning, I want you to hear that sin has effects. Second thing I want to show you this morning is that pain that sin causes. The pain that sin causes. Starting here in verse 7. Just going verse by verse. And when the men of Israel who were on the other side of the valley and those who were on the other side of the Jordan saw that the men of Israel had fled and that Saul and his sons were dead, they forsook the cities and fled. And the Philistines came and dwelt in them. So what happened the next day when the Philistines came to strip the slain that they found Saul and his three sons fallen on Mount Gilboa. And they cut off his head and stripped off his armor and sent word throughout the land of the Philistines to proclaim it in the temple for their idols and among their people. Then they put his armor in the temple of the Ashtaroth and they fastened his body to the wall of Bashan. You say, what in the world? What they were doing was celebrating their victory. They were letting everyone know that they had conquered God's king of Israel. 
that they had taken the nation of Israel and humbled it to its lowest point. And they were celebrating. And I want you to see here what happens in the pain of sin. First of all, I want to make it very clear that sometimes we will say, well, pain won't affect me. Or I won't see the consequences of my sin. Listen to what Galatians, the sixth chapter says, verses seven through eight. Do not be deceived. Deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will reap. For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. And he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. You see, God is gracious and merciful. And many times we don't reap everything that we sow. But friends, if we sow to the flesh, we will reap to the flesh. If we sow to the Spirit, we will reap to the Spirit. You say, well, Jake, I can, I can tell that lie, or I can think that thought, or I can act that way at work, and, and it won't affect me. Yes, it will. Today, the greatest lie Satan can get you to believe is that sin will not affect you. That sin won't affect your family. And so what do the effects of sin look like in our life? I'm glad that you asked because I really wanted to tell you. First, God will not fight for you. You say, well, Jake, I want God to fight for me. I want God to fight for us as a church. I want for God to fight for us as a marriage. In 1 Kings chapter 8, starting in verse 46, God telling the Old Testament children of Israel, when they sin against you, through the writer of 1 Kings, for there is no one who does not sin. And you become angry with them and deliver them to the enemy and they take them captive to the land of the enemy far or near. God says to the writer of 1 Kings, I'm going to give my people over to their enemies when they're living in sin. And so I don't want you to know this or to think about this in a really depressing way, but I want you to know that if America does not repent, if we as churches do not repent, God is going to give us to our enemies. There is no other way around it. As a couple, God will stop fighting for you if you are not willing to get rid of the sin in your life. As a church, God does not have to bless us if we do not repent and turn from our wicked ways and, and follow Him and obey Him. He does not have to continue to work. I left the first service this morning. There was two uh, young adult, young people out in the... In the um, what is that room called out there? The lobby, the vestibule, whatever it's called. And uh, they said, we need to tell you something. And I said, oh, wonderful. You know, they're kids, so it didn't worry me at all. But, uh, uh, and uh, they said, we were both saved Wednesday night. And my first thought was, yes! Boy, we didn't have church Wednesday night. She said, uh, they both got up and said, Mom, we, we, we need to go to church Wednesday night. We need to get saved. She goes, well, you don't have to go to church to get saved. And so we had two, two uh, young people that were saved Wednesday night at home. And and they were telling me in the lobby, and, and uh, that should cause you to be much happier than it did, but that's okay. And I thought, what a privilege to be a part of watching God change lives. Watching God save sinners. Watching God give hope to people who have no hope. But the second thing I want to show you what sin will do, is it will break your fellowship with God. In Isaiah 59 verse 2, the Bible says these words, but your iniquities have separated you from God, and your sins have hidden His face from you, so that He will not hear. Now let's be clear, God hears everything. And God knows everything. And so what does this mean for us who are living in sin when we pray? 
God pays no attention until you repent. I don't miss that. Some of us are praying for grandma's ingrown toenail when we need to be asking for forgiveness of our sins. Many times we're praying for material blessings, but yet we haven't got along with God and say, God, I need You to forgive me. Lord, forgive me of my sin. Lord, forgive me of my wickedness. God, forgive me of what is going on in my life. And so most of the time, what I have found out in church prayer meetings is that churches need a meeting of repentance before they need a meeting of requesting. Most of us come to pray to ask for things. And what God says is the greatest thing that He can give you is Himself and His attention and His love and who He is. And what He says is, if you and I are not willing to repent of our sin, that He will not hear from us. But third, I want to show you that it causes death. The pain that sin causes is death. In Romans the 6th chapter, verse 23, it says, for the wages of sin is death. And I want to stop right there. Because this entire time this morning, I have been talking to you about sin and the consequences and the dangers and the heartache. And some of you are looking at me going, oh, this is never going to get over. But here comes the but. This is where you and I realize something. That we have hope. The world does not have hope. Uh, the, the people that are trying other religions don't have hope. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. If we all have a sin problem and we all are going to have pain from it, what is the answer? What is the, the answer to our problem? And His name is Jesus. Jesus Christ is the hope that I have as a sinner. Jesus Christ is the hope that my family has as sinners. Jesus Christ is the hope that our church has as sinners. Jesus Christ giving us eternal life is our only hope this morning. So the third thing I want to show you this morning is the people that sin affects, the pain that sin causes, but then the price to redeem from sin. You say, Jake, what do you mean by the price to redeem for sin? Many times we don't view sin as individually. But I want you to think about what we just read. Those people that were fleeing their homes. They were left everything. I don't know if you don't know this or not, but in the days that the Bible was written, there wasn't an AFLAC. There wasn't State Farm. There, there wasn't insurance agencies that would put you up in a hotel if your house burns. Many of these people who would have fled would have been just like the refugees you see on television. Many of their husbands would have just died in the battle that they watched. Many of their fathers would have just died in the battles that was just lost. And so I want you to think about these mothers and their children packing up just as much as they can carry and fleeing from their homes. Abandoning their lives and all that they have. And so this is the effects of sin. It affects us individually. It affects us personally. But yet the price to redeem from sin. Look what it says in verses 11 and 12. Now when the inhabitants of Jabesh-Gilead heard that the Philistines had done to Saul, all the valiant men arose and traveled all night and took the body of Saul and the body of his sons from the wall of Bethshan, and they came to Jabesh and burned them there. Then they took their bones and buried them under the tamarisk tree at Jabesh 
and fasted seven days. So what happens is the Philistines were making a mockery of Saul and his family. And as a matter of honor and love, the men from Jabesh said, we're going to sneak over there. We're going to take those bodies back and we're going to bury them properly. We're going to give them in a way that, that they can't be defiled. And they were willing to pay the price to bring back what was lost. And this morning I want you to hear this. In 1 Corinthians, the 6th chapter, read these words. For you were bought at a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. These men for Jabesh Gilead probably knew that some of them might not make it home. Right? You're sneaking into the Philistine area to take back a body that's hanging on a wall. If you think about the getting there part, think about the transporting the bodies back. You might sneak into a place, but sneaking out with four dead bodies is probably not easy. And if you know that from experience, that's weird, alright? <laughs> but that's what they were willing to do. I can just imagine them saying, are you willing to go? Are you willing to go? Are you willing to go? Are you willing to lay down your life and pay the price to, to bring back King Saul's dead body and his sons to honor them? But yet the Bible says you were bought at a price. That I was bought at a price. And what was that price? You see, Jesus came. Jesus came on a rescue mission knowing the price. Those men knew they might die. Jesus came knowing that He would die. You see, don't miss that. Jesus came knowing the death was coming. In 1 Peter chapter 1, starting in verse 19, But with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. He indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you. Before the world was ever created, before Adam and Eve had ever fallen in the garden, Jesus knew that He would come and die for your sins and for mine. And He was willing to come anyway. You see, that's the great hope of the gospel is that yes we are sinners and yes we overlook our sin we explain our sin we even ignore our sin we laugh about our sin but yet our sin was such a big deal that Jesus Christ the son of God the one who hung the stars in the sky the one who told the ocean it could only go so far the one who has created all things by him and for him and through him was willing to come and say, I will die for their sin. Not his sin, but my sin and your sin. The sin that destroys and ruins and corrupts. Jesus said, I will come and I will take that punishment for them. That's why I believe that churches have very much harmed the gospel by not preaching on sin. Because friends, you have to understand something. You had nothing to give. And Jesus gave everything. You had nothing to offer. But yet He offered everything. I was hopeless. But He came and brought hope. You see, Jesus Christ dying on the cross, purchasing us with His blood, redeems us. And so, if you want to know today the answer for your marriage problem, if you want to know today the answer 
for your individual sin problems? If you want to know the answer to the fear and sin that you're struggling with today, the answer is a man named Jesus who is fully God and fully man. It's not a preacher. <laughs> if you're looking for Jake Gray to save you, you are fastly and quickly and totally off track. If you're looking for a church to save you, you are way off track. If you're looking for a baptism or a Lord's Supper or some ritual or rite to make you right with God, it will not do it. Jesus is His name. And He purchased you through His blood. And so today, just like Saul had made a mess of his life, just like Saul's decisions had made a mess of the people around him, but even after he was dead and humiliated and embarrassed and being mocked and made fun of by the world, a group of men said, this isn't right. And we're going to make it right. And Friends, that looks awesome. I wish someone would do that for me if this happened. But friends, I'm telling you what I'm really thankful for. I'm thankful for the fact that Jesus knew me. All of me. And loved me. I'm thankful that Jesus knew every wicked thing I would ever think, do, or say and said, I love you enough to die for you. You see, in this passage of Scripture, it is definitely full of sin and the heartache and pain and death. But friends, it's filled with hope. This book is filled with hope because why? Even though my sin is a problem, I have the ultimate solution. His name is Jesus. So I want to read one more passage of Scripture to you today from 1 Kings chapter 8. We read verse 46 about how God will deliver His people who are living in sin to the enemy. But it doesn't stop there. In verse 47 it says, Yet. So what has happened has happened, but this can be changed. That something can happen that will alter what is going to happen. Yet, in verse 47, when they come to themselves in the land where they have were carried captive, and... You have to read that word with me for to finish. I'm, I'm not going to... You have to read that word with me in order for me to finish. Repent. Repent. And make supplication to you in the land of those who took them captive, saying, we have sinned and done wrong. Friends, you have today to admit that you're a sinner. If you are saved and living in sin, you have to admit to God, God, I am, I'm backslidden. God, I'm not where I should be. If you're here today and you do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, it starts with you admitting as the conviction is happening today that God, I am a sinner. I have sinned against you. We have committed wickedness. And when they return to you, with all their heart and with all their soul in the land of their enemies who led them away captive and pray to you toward their land which you gave to their fathers. The city which you have chosen and a temple which I have built for your name. He says when you get to a place when you are so broken and so captive and so discouraged that you have nowhere else to go and you admit to God that you're a sinner you turn from your sin and you ask and call upon God and ask Him to forgive you and believe it in your heart. Believe that He is and who He is. Look what it says. 
becoming fastly, quickly one of my favorite verses, starting in verse 49. Then here in heaven, your dwelling place their prayer and their supplication and maintain their cause. And forgive. Forgive your people who have sinned against you and alter and all their transgressions which they have transgressed against you and grant them compassion before those who took them captive that they may have compassion on them. He tells them to admit, to turn and believe, and to confess. And friends, if you've been in a Baptist church, I know there's all kinds of people that don't like the sinner's prayer and the ABCs of salvation. And what I'm sick and tired of people getting sick and tired. That's what I'm sick and tired of. But it's right there. They admitted, they believed, and they confessed. With all of their heart. And the Bible says that God will hear from heaven and forgive. And friends, this morning what you need and what I need is forgiveness. Even if you're already saved. Even if you're already born again. Things happen. Sins come up into our lives. That's the great thing about this book. I might not be able to forgive myself. You might not be able to forgive me. But you know who can? The only one who matters. And friends, today some ends are struggling with that. Some ends are here saying, Jake, I've just done so much wrong. I've done so many things. I'm so far from God. There's no way He could forgive me. Today, if you'll repent and ask Him, He will. It says all their transgressions. It doesn't say some of them. It doesn't say the little ones. It says all. Today, if you're here and you're lost, you say, Jake, I hate that word lost. That's exactly what you are. I could call you a rebel. I could call you on your way to hell. I could call you a sinner. Whatever the terminology you want is, it's this. That without Jesus, it's hopeless. But He says that if you will admit, if you'll repent, and you'll confess, He'll save you this morning. You say, Jake, I'm a 90-year-old man. That don't matter. I've led a 90-year-old man to the Lord before. God will save you at 9 or He'll save you at 90. He'll save you at 39, 49, 59, 69, 79, going once, going twice. You're sold. He will save you wherever you are. If you will admit that you're a sinner. Believe in your heart that Jesus Christ died for you, rose from the grave, and confess it with your mouth and your heart. He will save you this morning. Some of you are thinking, well, Jake, that's really great, but it's not something I need. Everybody struggles with sin. And everyone is a sinner. You say, well, Jake, well, I, I've been living apart from God and, and I've not seen any consequences. That's because God is merciful. God is merciful. Sometimes the consequences don't come till years later. Dads and moms, if you want to teach your kids what a healthy marriage looks like, you better start modeling it now. Because one of these days they're going to be looking for a spouse. And how you treated each other is what they're going to think they should be treated. I have done a lot of funerals in my life, and I just told the story of my Sunday school class today. But only one time in my entire life have I seen a child get up at a funeral 
talk about how bad their parent was. It was the most awkward, uncomfortable thing I've ever been a part of. I didn't know what to do. The funeral didn't know, director didn't know what to do. We just stood there and watched it. And boy, I was bothered by it. Oh, I couldn't believe it. I couldn't even close in prayer. I was so flustered. It was just like... like but I asked myself this question. How many people today would never say it out loud, but they have seen the damage that the generation before them sin has caused them? Maybe today you're here and you're saying the consequences of my spouse's sin have harmed me. You see, friends, today it happens. But Jesus is the answer. He can forgive and restore and revive you today if you'll let Him. Or you can leave here the same way you came, carrying your same baggage, carrying your same sins, doing the same thing you've been doing, and friends, today is as good as it will ever get. Because it's only going to get worse. Because sin only spreads. It only corrupts. And it only destroys more. But today, Jesus wants you to have hope. And that hope is Him. And so if you would stand with me and pray as Jamie and Janice comes. Father, today I pray, Lord, that Your Word has been presented. And Father, I pray today that as we have seen the consequences of sin played out, that today, Lord, Your Holy Spirit would begin to speak to hearts. Father, I pray today for that couple that is thinking about calling it quits, that today You'd show them, God, that You could restore and bring joy and healing, not to let it go so far, that the damage is catastrophic. Father, to those parents today that that are not raising their children the way that You want them to, God, that are just kind of going through it half-hearted or, or, or just doing one thing at church and another thing at home. Today, God, that You would show them that their parenting is going to have an effect on their children. Father, today though, I pray that You would speak to each and every heart through the convicting power of Your Holy Spirit. And each and every one of us, God, that You would show us the areas of our life that we are allowing sin, that we are overlooking sin, that we are laughing at our sin, and today, God, You would convict us and that we would come to You. Lord, I pray that You would help us to be a church that forgives, that loves, that, that welcomes people that are broken and hurting because You welcome those that are broken and hurting. And so, Father, I pray today, whatever is needed, whatever is going on, Lord, if it's something totally different this morning, that Your people would respond to You and Your Word this morning. And God, I ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen.